welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. And today we have another review with a couple of our friends. This is our first four-person podcast. We're here with our friends, Lord and Gov. What's up, Lord and Gov? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, this here is your Lord and Gov. Don't expect us to do any funny accents, but that is what we're calling ourselves today. <laughs> and it works fine with us. It works fine with us. Uh, and... Um, just for the viewers at home, this voice talking right now is Lord. Oh, yeah. And this. Call me a gov. <laughs> Sounds yeah. great. So uh, I'm actually really excited. Uh, Lord, Lord is currently uh, visiting uh, our neck of the woods, and we're really happy to have him. How's, uh, how's your uh, chill time been, uh, Lord? You know, it's been anything but chill. Um, just running around <laughs> from one, I guess, uh, monument to another, uh, taking photos in front of them and then moving on to the next monument with not much time in between, uh, to consider what they mean. <laughs> um, you know, just, I guess when you come to America, you end up looking at a lot of monuments. Right. Fair All enough. right. Uh, so, I think that's uh, what, it's what we've got to offer, I guess, to the tourists. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it sounds like your relatives are taking very good care of you. Oh, yeah. I've been <laughs> doted on by my aunts. It's been good. I've been given fudge. I've been, uh, Ooh. you know, taken out to Mexican restaurants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good ones, I hope. I've been, oh, yeah, definitely. The real ones. It's like, I guess it's from it's in Tucson, Arizona. So I guess that's as Mexican as you can get. Yeah, they, That's as Mexican authentic. as you can get without being the, in Mexico. Right. The beer is actually from Mexico. The waiters are actually Mexican mm. and the cooks. It's like it does not get more American than that. Mm. Right. All right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, today's review is uh, a film that when I saw the trailer, I was really, really hooked. And slowly but surely, the hype grew for this film online. And now it's finally been released. Uh, we're talking about the horror film from 20th Century Studios, uh, Barbarian. And Bar Barbarian is a really interesting film because this film uh, is directed by Zach Kreger, who, um, I don't know, do you guys know who Zach Kreger is? I mean, I, Unfortunately. I'm <laughs> So for our audience, uh, Zach Kreger is actually a, a prominent member of The Whitest Kids You Know. Uh, I know for a lot of people our age, that was one They were of the, the competitor to college humor in a lot of ways. Yeah, except they were on basic cable, IFC to be specific, if I remember yep. correctly. That's correct. Uh, Zach Kreger was always like the second in command of sorts to uh, Trevor, uh, whose last who last name was... Yes, who died. Yeah. Yes. Let's yeah. be honest, fate got that one wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he, you know, it's really sad because apparently he was in the middle of writing like a really, really funny movie that he was going to shoot. Uh, and that kind of fell through after he died. But instead... Well, that uh, would happen, yeah. Yeah, Do you instead, think he wrote a joke so funny that it killed him? <laughs> <laughs> that that would be a ironic way to go. But uh, for those in our audience who have seen The Whitest Kids You Know, Zach Kreger was the uh, drug addict in the PCP skit from The Whitest Kids You Know. It's one of the, <laughs> it's one of the most famous skits of that uh, comedic troupe, and uh, it's got like a millions upon millions of views on YouTube. Yeah, and prior awesome. to this, the most the biggest thing that this group had really done if i don't know if you guys remember but they were responsible for that really strange comedy miss march that was like yeah. they're doing like they, they marked didn't they i stayed away this is really how i prefer to do things but i stayed away from all 
marketing for this film before seeing it. And if Al hadn't told me it was a horror movie, I would not have even known that about it. Um, you know, I, I was expecting a, a historical piece, actually. Oh. Uh, but well, we, we had a we had a bit planned and then we went and we, we decided to be idiots about it. Um, Lord went and spent time with his friends in America who he hasn't seen in four years. And I worked out. So we really blew it. We really, we're wasting this one life that God gave us. But the original plan, <laughs> which would have been a much better use of time, was to do a ton of research on Berbers and then spend this whole podcast bitching about how the depiction of barbarians in this film is historically <laughs> inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Like, I mean, no, guys, this isn't the Northman. Wait, wrong type again. Wait, damn it. <laughs> well, yeah, he, t- he uh, takes out a smartphone. It's like, first of all, steel hadn't even been invented. <laughs> You know, you know, what's what what's what's really funny about that is that if you I, I, I know you just admitted you haven't seen the trailer. The trailer really tells you nothing about the movie. I mean, I heard it, that it introduces you to uh, it introduces you to a couple of the cast and then like crazy shaky cam happens and you see another member of the cast. So basically what happened was so basically the movie. <laughs> well, well, I saw the I saw the trailer and I'm like, wait. Is that who I think it is? And I looked at, I did some research on the movie, and when I saw who directed it, I was like, interesting. This is another horror film that's directed by someone primarily known for comedy. And I was I was very intrigued, and I told C, C, we definitely need to see this because uh, Zach Kreger, Zach Kreger <laughs> is some, from Whitest Kids You Know, and this looks interesting. Well, it just goes to remind us that all comedians are fucked in the head. It just reminded us of that. Uh, I, I mean, mean it's, it's that old adage, misery is comedy. We're going to have to, uh, <laughs> Jesus, no. We're going to have to get into that a little deeper. Sorry, a little equipment failure over here. Um, no, uh, could somebody uh, let me know about this? Um, after we watched the film, we did watch uh, some of the... You know, we, we went to see what some of the YouTube talking heads have to say about it. And one thing that we discovered, we discovered a review of the trailer for Barbarian. And um, I'm getting this information secondhand. But was the film credited as being from the director of Miss March? No, 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 no. Okay, no. so that was that, a joke. No, he was making no, a joke. Yeah. The, uh, well, no, actually, like, I was referencing how the kid, the people from Whitest Kids You Know, they were responsible for that movie. But no, he, well, he, like, he, did, he did say that the trailer said, like, from the creator of Miss Mark, but I guess that no, was... No, that, that, no, that, no, that, that was not... Yeah, because I, I distinctly remember that trailer. That, it said uh, from writer-director Zach Kreger, yeah. uh, but that was about it. So uh, before we... Uh, so, uh, Lord and Gov, I know this is your first time on the podcast. So before we do the review proper we watch the trailer just to you know which will be great for you guys yeah we watch the trailer but before we do that we we kind of start off the review by kind of giving an opening question and since you guys are our guests you guys get the opening question and then me and c will give our own answers okay so so i I have listened to a couple episodes so Mm -hmm. uh is the opening question does it fuck because i can answer that uh no we'll get to that later we'll get to that later uh the opening question is, uh, of all these horror films directed by comedians, which has been the one that you've enjoyed the most? And what are, what are, what's kind of your thoughts on this trend of comedians either directing or having a heavy hand in writing uh, horror? Oh, dude, you know what I'm going to say. I'll let my lord here answer that one because my answer has already been said a million times and you already know what I'm going to say. 
what are what are the options? No, it's uh, just what you dude, think. It's, there's oh, only one option, and it's Jordan Peele. <laughs> oh yeah, Jordan Peterson, he's the best. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> just kidding. Nah, Jordan Peele, man. Oh, get out. I mean, nope. I wish I could be on the Nope episode right now, but I actually didn't listen to it because I wanted to go see the movie and it came out before I saw it. So there was Nope chance in hell of me doing that. <laughs> but um, My favorite part of the movie is when he says Nope. <laughs> so, uh, but but seriously, what what's kind of what are your thoughts on the trend of comedians uh, being really involved in horror these past few years. Well, th- this is this is a pretty deep one, actually. Do, do you have any uh, serious thoughts on that? I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, when you're making comedy, the goal is to make people laugh. And you have to be really attuned to um, your audience's response. I don't know if anybody here has ever tried to do stand-up comedy, but um, you're, you're often surprised you write something that you think is going to be hilarious. But then you get up on stage and you tell it, and it turns out it's only hilarious to you. Been and there. people are not laughing when <laughs> you thought they would laugh. <laughs> so I guess when you've uh, when you're a member of a comedy troupe, you've done that thousands of times, and you're really trained uh, to notice when people are responding. So it's very interesting to take that skill set and translate it to just a different response that you're trying to get out of people. Now I don't know if a, a comedy director to prepare for a horror movie will like practice like jumping out and scaring people um i don't think that's very likely there aren't as many venues to like get immediate feedback from like uh you know something horrific you're doing um you know as opposed to something funny that you're doing but i assume that you know you know when you're making a movie you show it to people and you get their reactions and that sort of like uh gives you a like a guidance but you know all i'm trying to say is a comedian is more open to um you know, interpreting the emotions of their audience and they're more finely tuned. So that I could see that giving them an edge in directing horror. Right, right. So there, there are a lot of interesting facts that I think uh, come right on the heels of that. Uh, but first of all, does any uh, that that really set off a, a strong um, response from me? So I, I have a lot to say there. Does anybody else have anything they want to add to that? I think the only thing I would say is that I've noticed and this is obviously not the case everywhere, but that a lot of comedians use comedy as a way to to distract themselves from the darker thoughts they have. Let me be clear. There's plenty where this is not the case. There are plenty of comedians who are just funny for the sake of being funny. But many of them, you know, they, it's almost there. It's one side of the other coin. Um, w- one example that I can only think of off the top of my head is... Um, uh, one of my favorite comedians, Artie Lang, who I always found to be very funny, but look, you can, you know, I won't go too deep into it, but you know, he's, he's had to, and still deals with a lot of demons, a lot of issues. So I think it's less crazy for a comedian to delve into horror or even just something more serious, like with Bo Burnham doing eighth grade. And that obviously was a mm. horror movie, but there were some very serious moments in that movie that were horrifying to watch. Yes, yes. Okay, so there it is right there. I think that's a horror movie if you're a girl, like unironically. And I, I think yeah. that the the uh, public school system, very broken, does present uh, unique challenges for males. You know, and that's the subject of a different podcast. But, mm. you know, I, th- I thought it was really fascinating, you know, seeing this idea on... Um, 
this idea of like, oh, this boy thinks he's being so smooth and maybe even charming, but this is actually a terrifying situation that this girl literally could not leave even if she wanted to. And, and it's pretty clear that she does want to. And, and he's completely unaware of that, which makes it even scarier. I, I think like, you know, like it, it's definitely a horror movie if you consider the female perspective. <laughs> That's an incredible point, actually, yeah. So- um, uh, I, It was very powerful. I'd never seen a scene like that in film. I don't wanna, um, uh, yeah, we, we definitely need more of that. Um, let me just see here. Yeah, I, I think we're doing it. I got a little, that might have uh, been clipping a tiny bit. I got a little excited there. That's fun. Um, All right. Um, Al, do you have anything? I, I do have some thoughts on um, transposing the comedy mindset into the realm of horror, but I want to know if you have anything to say about that before I go. Uh, well, usually I'm always the last one to give his thoughts. So do you want to give your thoughts first or do you want me oh, to? Oh, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, you're, you're the one running the podcast. So um, I was just going to say, uh, so my friend Joel So. Um, it's kind of a name drop, I know, but whatever. Uh, he was my partner in philosophy class, <laughs> and he went on to direct the highest grossing film in the history of his country, Malaysia, which is a film called Police Evo. Um, if, you, if you mention that to any Malaysian person, they will know what you're talking about. So it's very cool. And I, he had a very good film brain. He always produced good student films, and I'm utterly unsurprised that he's been successful, although I've been shocked by the magnitude of his success post-graduation and he's our age like well a little older but you know just keep that in mind mm -hmm. um so he always said that film is not art film is a science people get too expressive they get their head too high up in the clouds and the reality is that you have two hours to tell a story people come into it with expectations but um even uh, uh, upstream of those expectations there are rhythms, there are natural rhythms that all, you know, all, all entities follow. Um, all real world entities follow these rhythms and you want, you know, a buildup of tension and then a release. And you want that to follow a pattern that resonates with the human spirit. And <laughs> that sounds very airy, but in a sense, it actually is a scientific concern because there is a way to do that with, that meshes with human psychology, with which to a certain extent is fixed. And there's a way of doing that that does not. Now, I know that's all very pretentious, but if you'll bear with me, um, this has direct bearing on the conversation we're having currently because I think that comedy, you know, comedy has to um, follow a pattern. You have to have a buildup of comedic tension and then you have to have a punchline that precipitates a release of that tension and causes the audience to laugh. And then you get to have, you know, the shared experience of, you know, just this, this riot, you know, a bunch of people rolling out of their seats together. Um, I think that people enjoy seeing a horror movie. I mean, it's fascinating, you know, fear is a negative emotion, but people will pay money to be scared in the right way, right? So then the, the question is, how do you do it in the right way? Um, and I, I, I think there is a direct parallel to comedy. Um, now, those are, in my opinion, those are facts. Um, but what comes next is sort of conjecture. I would say that comedy, unless you have an innately good sense of humor, you know, comedy and horror might be more difficult than drama or action, right? Like maybe, maybe. I, I can't prove that. And I, I, I actually agree with back. you. No, I okay, fully cool. agree. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for action, if you have cool visuals and high, high impact visuals, you know, and, and again, in a good pace, you know, from a narrative perspective, a good pace, it'll be fine. Um, for drama, you can get away with good music and attractive people and, and a good city, you know, to set it in. Um, but for comedy and horror, you have to find these rhythms. You have to, if people do not laugh, you have to provoke a, a singular response. If people do not laugh, 
they will not feel like they got their money's worth. If people do not scream in a horror movie, same problem. So you have to directly provoke an emotion, which is a pretty high emotion, which generally takes a, you know some provocation to pull out. And if you fail to do that, you know, the best music, the most attractive people, the best locations, the most high impact visuals aren't worth anything. Um, now, comedy, if I remember this correctly, believe it or not, I didn't learn this from film school. I learned this from a sermon in church. But supposedly, comedy has the best return on investment for um, indie film. And I, I think that's probably true. I never independently verified it, but a pastor said it. It must be true. And um, horror, I would imagine, is probably the opposite because it's very, very similar to comedy. But I feel like it's got to be harder, man. I feel like it's got, like to have two funny people on camera and one of them tells a joke and the audience laughs. That has to be more difficult than the, you, you know, very similar structure, but, you know, horror. This idea of, of building up, you know, tension, but, but it's a negative tension rather than positive tension. And then there's a release, but, it, but it's a negative release. It, it's a, it's a, an emotion that people are generally trying to suppress fear, which, you know, that seems harder to draw out than an emotion that people will readily latch onto, the good feeling we get from comedy. So I'd like to know what you guys think about that. Very similar, uh, but different and okay. different, different difficulties. I think you're right see. because uh, to put it, to give a very simple you know, example, you can't do a, a jump laugh, but you can do a jump scare. So, mm. so you can do a jump laugh. You can just have something hilarious come out of nowhere. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, for me, um, kind, kind of to touch on what you said, Gov, I, I really agree with everything you've said in, in the sense of like, there are these rhythms in comedy and in horror. They're, they're, they're different rhythms, uh, but sometimes those wavelengths sync up and you're like, oh, well, the way I do this, the televisual joke is similar to the technique I would use to do a jump scare or, or to creep people out or to make them un unnerved. Uh, and I think something that C brought up is that a lot of comedians have a dark side is that, you know, when when someone knows how to break down an, uh, a narrative element in order to generate laughter, that's usually because I mean, again, this is pure conjecture on my part. Uh, that's usually because that's something they needed to do in their life or they felt the need to do in their life. Mm. And that's, that's usually because something happened where, you know, they're not all comedians come from a tragic background, but you, you notice that just like, the good ones. Yeah. Just the good ones. Right. Um, and in not terms true of, either. <laughs> in terms of the, in terms of the trend, what we're seeing here is that I think, and like, I'm, I know Jordan Peele was not the first, funny guy to be like oh i want to scare people i'm sure there have been others he's just the one that's the kind joker. of he, he's kind of the one that's kind of been looming over this entire enterprise you know like the the moment anyone brings up comedians doing horror the first thing they go to is uh, jordan peele's nope uh because that movie like no matter what people thought of it was a cultural phenomenon and made a metric fuck ton of money are you well, talking about if, nope if or could... get out Get out is the correct answer because that's what made people go like, what? The funny guy can be scary too? So I wouldn't be surprised if on a very practical level, just a lot of like greedy studio heads were like, get me the closest funny guy and see what fucked up ideas he had for a movie. 
or or they were like, someone get me Jason Blum to find me a funny guy who has something fucked up to say. And we've been getting we've been getting kind of a slow trickle of these films coming in. Well, I bet you've also had cases where like earlier before Get Out, you had comedians pitch horror, pitch a horror idea, at least a couple. And the producers like, you're a comedian. Get out of our office. And now they're like, come back, come back. We got so something it's, for you. It's well, become a marketing gimmick is what you're saying. Well, yeah, I think I think it's a bit of a marketing gimmick and kind of circling back to C's point. Remember, famously, Mel Brooks was like trying to get the fly and uh, Elephant Man made. But everybody looked at him and was like, but you're funny. You made Blazing Saddles. You can't make this. Yeah. And, you, know, yeah the, he... the... you go. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but, you know, he proved them wrong because, I mean, the fly is a great body horror film and the elephant man is really really good uh it's kind of david lynch at his best and his most uh not insane the pigeonholing problem is very real and that's also a huge part of how you get hired um the basic principles absolutely never change but um if you have never made a seafood commercial you know you've only done commercials for like I, I don't know what's another cars Bur- well a car is diff- very different in terms of it's outdoor versus indoor you know it's it's on location gotcha. versus in studio but, but but yeah okay so a car i mean like really at the end of the day there are huge differences but the basic principles are the same um i, I was thinking like a burger like you know you see the burger flip up in the air and the little the little grains kind of you know float through the air and catch the light you know um very similar to where you would do a seafood commercial <laughs> The shrimp would fly up in the air and the, the little droplets of oil. Oh, you've got to gotta do be kidding me. We, we've all seen that movie, right? Yeah. Sure, something like it. Yeah. Right, but you don't This you is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Let's, uh, let's watch yeah. the trailer. Yeah, uh, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> we're kind of, we're kind of. Why don't you come inside? Dallying, and we'll okay? call these idiots. Let's do it. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom and I'll sleep out here on the couch. become a 
pleasurable experience. This is perfectly natural. They're well, freaky. yeah, that is a. I really like that trailer, and that's why we went to see the movie. It was mostly because of that trailer. Although I guess I was wrong. Uh, there was no uh, credit to uh, Zach Craker on there. Must have just been my imagination. And it definitely didn't say from the director of Miss March. Definitely no, did not. Definitely no, it did say from a producer of It and an executive producer of The Grudge. <laughs> and really, like, who watches a movie trailer and says, oh, my God, the executive producer? I've got to go see it. That's horrible. I guess it's really just an excuse to have the, the names of the movies. Oh, without a doubt. That's really how they do it. Letters. You'll notice that the title of the film is more prominent than the role. Oh, yeah. is that why that is? Okay. No. Wow. no, yeah, because they want you to associate a movie that they think you think is scary so that you would think, oh, this is going to be scary as well. Like they did that before. because it had the same executive producer. That makes sense. <laughs> well, so in in all seriousness, uh, before Jason Blum was known as Jason Blum, all the trailers that of movies he produced it would always have from the producer of Paranormal Activity. And yeah, I remember that era. <laughs> like, yeah, that was like from like what two thousand and nine to when? When did Jason Blum start becoming a household name? Like around 20, 2014, I think. He did it for a while because it yeah. was the I mean, thing they, they were might, riding on. Yeah. They might still be doing it for certain releases. I don't know. I, like I said, I haven't gone to the movies in a long time. So uh, let's get into our reviews. Lord, uh, you're first. What's, uh, what were your thoughts on the film? Uh, no. just... Well, I mean, my biggest question is, and oh, I don't what? mean this is a so, joke. So, so sorry, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this like before the episode, right before the episode. But I, I should tell our audience, just so you guys have free reign to be able to discuss plot details. This is a super spoiler review straight up. So if if you don't like, I'm going to add a message about that in the beginning of the podcast, but (laughs) let's reiterate we're going to go into every spoiler imaginable. So just letting you know, this is a long form discussion and it's a twist based movie. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, Lord, please. uh, The floor is yours. Yeah, well, I mean, I would definitely like to kick things off with a discussion of the title. Uh, The title of the film is Barbarian, um, which, you know, like, I didn't feel like that was a good choice for it, because I know that the, the, the main villain guy did something barbaric in the past. Um, which seems to be like kidnap women and like assault them on videotape and then make them have babies. And then he would repeat the process with the babies. You know, who is that Austrian guy, Yosef? Um, what was that Austrian guy who like kidnapped his daughter and like built a basement so he could keep his daughter there and like fuck her? I fortunately know Fra- nothing. No, Fritzl, jo- Yosef Fritzl is clearly inspired by Yosef Fritzl. But the phrase barbarian, you know, that conjures like a, a foreign invader, you know, like the Berbers, as we were talking about with the original barbarians. But, you know, I don't I don't know if that was like, uh, I mean, it, it, it just felt I mean, 
I mean, of all the things to criticize, why the title? I don't know. It just, I don't know. It, it was kind of strange that the movie should be called that. And it, it seemed more like, you know, it's it's to give it some sort of like discordant uh, sort of feature to it. You know what I'm saying? I, I think, you know, like they should have just called it like the scary old woman. Um, I, I see what you're saying, but I would add this. I think Barbarian works on a couple different levels. Uh, so uh, like uh, Lord alluded to, the uh, the Barbarian in question is the main overall villain of the story. Uh, just to give a kind of a, the quickest recap I can, uh, a woman and a guy uh, accidentally rent the same Airbnb and they discover these, these series of tunnels from under the house and while they're while they're like kind of trying to see what these tunnels are about they are attacked by a large grotesque sort of feral mutated woman and uh they go missing and then the owner of said airbnb or at least of the property is this uh actor who's been me too'd and he go he discovers the tunnels and he finds our main female protagonist played by uh, Georgina Campbell and uh, they try to somehow escape these series of tunnels and escape said mutated feral woman who seems to want to make them her adopted children uh, that's pretty much the recap of the first two acts uh, so just so that our audiences well You've seen if, if you're watching this and haven't seen the movie, then you get what he's saying. But if not, then, you know, I spoiled it for you. There you go. If you're watching this and you haven't seen the movie, you made a huge mistake. Yeah, if right. you're and watching this, undone. you're a genius because this is audio. Yeah. So, <laughs> so but but I think the 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 I think the title works on two levels because I do. Th- I think it's less using the anthropological definition of barbarian and more using kind of the casual pop culture definition of barbarian, which is someone who commits these these inhumane acts. And I think we can all agree that the the main male villain, he does these very inhumane acts that are like like you've alluded to, Lord. These the things like this have happened in real life. Uh, you know, how but many- it sounds like you're saying. A barbarian would do some of these things, or a foreigner well, would well, fuck well, their own children uh, I, and then fuck their own children's children that well, they've made with Lord, that child. No, that sounds more of a pagan thing to do than a barbarian thing to do. Well, Lord, <laughs> like, listen, I know you're you're a stickler for anthropological definition, but we're going by pop cultural definition, you know. Um, and well, and, if we're going by pop culture, then a barbarian is a guy in like a, a fur diaper, right? <laughs> two-headed battle axe. Well, no, you know what I mean, though. Like in casual conversation, uh, we've called cannibals. We've called, um, we've called. It's almost like you could replace the word barbarian with barbaric, and that could still. Work. Look, Why didn't they call it barbaric then? Look, the because Senate, they wanted to throw people off a little bit more. The Senate and the Roman people will not stand for this misconstrual. Oh, okay, so you didn't like the title, uh, Lord. Uh, but continue I'm sorry, kind of... everybody. I'm no, sorry. don't apologize. <laughs> we don't, don't apologize don't... on the. There's no apologizing on the podcast. There's no, no apologizing. Okay. Then let's then let's let's dig our heels in. I I would like to say of the title. Well, this is uh, before great... you continue, Gov. Okay, sure. Uh, let let Lord kind of give like his overall thoughts on the film. Like try oh. try try to keep like don't go broad, but you know try to kind of like what what did you think? What stuck out to you? 
what good do you think bad. of it? Good and bad, or good or bad? I guess that's how you. That's how I would phrase right. it. Could I, could I just? If well, I let, just let, Lord, no, well, let let Lord let Lord go first, and then we'll go. It, to you, it will be really awkward to talk about the content of the film and then like circle back to the title later. I just feel like okay. it will be awkward. Uh, okay, what, then what, what are your thoughts on the title? Right, very, very, very quickly. I mean, in my defense. Um, the fact that the title was kind of weird was actually the first thing he said after we finished the film. Um, and, and he, he mentioned the, you know, fact that, um, barbarian necessarily connotes foreign invader. And this guy was more of like a, like, you know, hiding in plain sight. Like he's a bad neighbor disguised as a good neighbor. So it seems weird on that level. And, and I agreed with him. I, I was like, oh, I didn't think about that, but I agree with that. Then I thought about it some more and I came to the conclusion that, okay, these acts are not like, I mean, they are barbaric, but the thing is that they're barbaric in the sense of like, you would, you would tell your grandmother who doesn't watch horror movies, what happens in this film? And she'd be like, oh, that's barbaric. But in reality, I think of I think of um, you know barbarism as being messy. I, I I think of brute force, you know. And this guy was very calculating. He was very exacting. He was very precise. Um, I, I do like the title on one level. Um, that level is the question of who's the real barbarian. You know, th this is one of those films where the twist is, you know, oh, you think the villain is this you know creepy looking dude who's clearly lying about the double booking but oh no the villain is actually this woman who lives under the house oh but the real villain is actually actually this guy who's oppressing the woman who lives under the house and you know it, like it works on that level the question of like you know the movie's called barbarian okay that that demands that you the viewer as you're watching the film work to figure out who's the real barbarian who does the type to whom does the title refer that is the question that the title creates and in that sense it's clever other than that, I have to agree with Malord that it's a failure as far as titles go. Well, that, yeah, like as C said, um, they put it in there to throw you off. But I mean, really, if you're just adding in, you know, if you're making creative decisions, just purely if it'll throw people off, why don't you just like make it like completely Dadaist? And they didn't. It was quite conventional and a bit tropey. And that's a good segue because that, that is basically the conclusion we came to about the film itself as well. <laughs> tropey. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a movie with a lot of shaky cam. This is a movie with a lot of, um, you know, flashlights that where the batteries aren't need to be jiggled and people smack them and say, come on, come on. This is a movie with a lot of like, you know, a, like a, a, sh a shocked woman going up to like a big, strong man and trying to explain what's wrong. And the man being like, slow down there, little machine. <laughs> And not believing her. I mean, they even have a, excuse my language, but they have a magical Negro, which is like a trope that was like outdated 20 years ago. Uh, it didn't really feel like, um, you know, particularly clever. I mean, I guess the best part was like the part where they're being forced to be like breastfed, which I guess would be kind of creepy if like a gross lady was forced into breast, like forcing you to be breastfed but i think it'd be creepier if a non-gross lady was trying to breastfeed you like i don't know it just seemed like like the monster was just you know when you they try they were trying way too hard to make it look scary and grotesque but she didn't really have any dignity and that kind of just made it more funny than scary mm. to me you mm. know what i'm saying that makes a lot of sense that is uh, interesting i think uh, uh do you want to go see? No, 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 no. Go. Yeah, I was. I was just. I thought it's interesting that the, the, the intentional grotesque aspects of it, were 
you for you that was just something they did to appeal to a no that's not the right way to put it well they did detract they did detract i think they did Interesting. i like i i suppose i mean with the trailer it didn't give away much and it left a lot up to the imagination now i didn't particularly see the trailer going in but you know i did talk to al a little bit about what the content of the movie might be and you know i guess i maybe thought like oh you know it's a modern horror and i guess when he said modern i thought it might uh you know be sort of like an a24 movie yes i i guess that's what was my mistake my like mistake, midsummer yeah my mistake but i was expect i guess you, you were know. expecting hereditary yeah well, like so okay so i'm the one who's wrong the movie no, is no, fine no, no, but no, no. <laughs> we're not saying that i'm just i'm getting yeah out, well like, you it's just a bit idea. disappointing it's like so this guy's already made a movie it's not like this is his first movie but it was it was kind of slipshod like we we noticed one part where um you know the the there's the woman's running up the stairs to a door and she's going to find out that the door is locked when she gets up to it but she starts saying like no 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 like as she's running up the staircase before she gets to the door and like how would she know to say no before she found out that the door was locked there is a lot of just sort of shoddiness in it yeah so we can steel man this one i think that um you could very much make the case that the last time Tess was in that situation. The door was locked. So she gets to that area. She's not really close enough to, you know, but, but she's close enough to see that the door is shut. And in the last time she was in that situation, it was locked. So, you know, that, that would immediately set off um, a memory where you're like, oh, no, this visual means that I am trapped here. And, and she would reasonably start freaking out before she had access to the doorknob. Um, so that's the steel man. I still take the opposite view and i say that it was still shoddy filmmaking because you can excuse it but like that's the level of thought you have to put in to excuse it um on a purely visual level it was just dumb and it's one of those things where it's like yeah technically it's logical but it doesn't read well and i think there were there were a lot of instances like that throughout the film all right. Such uh, interesting. Okay. That's I do find that interesting because I, I will admit I didn't see those, but that's, I don't know. That's an interesting point. So you, you saw a lot of, you're saying you saw a lot of logical errors in the way the characters were taking action. To, Another, a, we have to, to quote a great pair of men. We have a little list. For example, um, how did, why did the old woman have, how was she strong enough to drag Justin Long all around the house? Like she looked quite decrepit and I don't think inbreeding gives you super strength. So there's a really good point. Um, so this is one of those, it's a fat film in a lot of ways is the art of cheating. So you have certain techniques where in, in a particular context, they're commendable. They're actually a wonderful application of the, you know, there are a way to use the limitations of the art form to your advantage. And in another context, they're the opposite. They they call attention to the, you know, the problem. So um, a really good example of this, I'm going to go through this really quickly, is um, After Earth by M. Night Shyamalan. A lot of the techniques that make chase scenes appealing and make chase scenes work, despite um, being illogical, if, if you had a God's eye view of the situation, are on display in the chase scene with uh, Jaden Smith and the baboons because it's done extremely poorly. 
So in um, the, the reason this is relevant is in the scene where the monster drags Justin Long away, you see her grab his ankle, I think, if I remember correctly, which is a good, you know, like, duh, you know, she got the ankle. Yeah, you know, it, it's a good jump scare. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to Tess like screaming. And then it cuts to Justin Long being sucked away, which is a good horror visual. And then, you know, it cuts to Tess freaking out about the situation because, you know, obviously this is more so Tess's story than Justin Long's story. That shot is even a POV with the camera being dragged away from her to represent the body. Right. So this is all good for the genre. It's all good for an art of it's all good from an art of horror film perspective. And then, of course, when Justin Long is, you know, when we see him again, he's already on the bed. So, you know, well done. Um, I would say that covering up, you know, having to show a woman who is smaller, more malnourished, um, you know, more more decrepit, as Lord said, compared to Justin Long, it would, it would be goofy to show that plainly. So they did a good job of avoiding that. And they actually made that, they, they used that avoidance to their advantage rather than to their detriment. However, it was still conspicuous because, I mean, you know, we, we know the distances involved. We've spent a lot of time in this basement by now. Both Milord here and I were wondering, how did she do that? You know, like, how can she be physically strong? And like, you know, on some level, you're, you're willing to accept it because it's a horror movie. She's a movie monster, right? So I, that was not my biggest gripe. But I, I would say that it's, it's a very, very fine line but they crossed it and not in a good way. They they used those cutaways, which would have worked if there had just been like a tiny bit more effort into making it logical. And that that could have almost worked. Um, but I, I think what ended up happening was they drew attention, unfortunately, to the question of, wait, how does that work? And just bringing it back a bit. But well, by, by trying too hard to cover it up. Sorry. The, the whole reason why she had to drag Justin Long was just to set up the the breastfeeding sequence. And I guess, yeah, that part was also gross, but I mean, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just like, um, you, you can just hear the writer sitting down and be like, okay, what's really going to freak him out? Oh, what if this gross old lady breastfeeds them? Disgusting. Ha ha. And I mean, in the very end of the movie, you know, it, it, they tried to double back on like the disgustingness of this lady and be like, oh, no, actually, she just wants a little baby. But it's like, no, you spent the whole movie trying to make this person look disgusting and scary and stuff. And, and now at the very end, we're suddenly supposed to empathize with them. I felt they had the problem uh, that was the problem with the monster, but also with the Justin Long character. As yes. Well. OK, that was a way I, I don't agree with you on the mother. I do agree with you that that was the one of the film's biggest flaws and certainly the biggest flaw concerning the Justin Long character. So, okay. So wait, we're just, so I understand, uh, Gov, what do you disagree about the mother part? Just so I understand. Well, he should take the, cause he, Oh, sorry. He does a really good, yeah. no, 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 sir. not, not to nothing against you, but he yeah. does a really good job of breaking that one. Down. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like when you're trying to make like a, a monster, right? Anybody can just come up with something really gross. Like, Oh, let's just make it covered in maggots. That's really gross. Oh, let's give her lots of open sores. That's gross. But you know, I mean, also when you're a filmmaker, like you're kind of making a, a character too. And, um, characters, you sort of have to, um, be able to sort of sympathize with them. And, you can't really sympathize with somebody who doesn't have any dignity. And so what what ended up happening in this movie is, you know, the, the lady had no dignity whatsoever. She was just like creepily trying to breastfeed people. 
uh, you know, and like, yeah, that serves the point of being a scary monster. Mm, mm. Okay, let me let me try one on you. So in that sense, the character fails to be as complex as she could have been, especially considering, you know, the, the path she takes from, you know, where she is uh, in the audience's mind at the beginning to where she is at the end, the death scene. There's no element of tragedy because she never had any dignity to begin with. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, she didn't really strike me. I, I, w- I never felt bad for her for being like the product of generations of ancestral there it rape. Is. There it is. There it is. I think that was definitely one of the film's goals, you know, to, to start out with. You know, it's like who's really, you know, it's like Quasimodo versus Frollo, right? Who's really the monster and who's really the man? Oh, it's not what's on the outside. It's what's in your soul. So in general, I thought this was like, a really if the strangers and the hills have eyes had a baby you'd end up with this um just the you know i liked that this took so many turns so many subgenre turns where is this a home invasion movie is this some sort of you know hostile torture movie for a second is this and then you realize oh no it's it's a monster film it really is a monster film um, and actually, regarding uh, Gov and Lord's point earlier about the superhuman strength, and I'll and I fully acknowledge that. Um, oh well, I will also say, I thought you know great acting all around. I really liked. I loved the mini horror references throughout the movie. Like I liked that the film references references Pennywise when the actor who played Pennywise says you look at me like I'm some sort of monster a little tongue-in-cheek but still a lot of fun um also the way Justin Long died was a very direct reference to another horror film he was in uh Jim Jeepers Creepers uh which I oh, thought yeah. was a nice little touch there um the which I'll admit I didn't know until uh until Al pointed that out to me but the I uh, I will also add there was you guys mentioned the character earlier on who saved the um, who saved them uh, kind of out of nowhere. It's like very sudden. I would have had a bigger a big problem of that as well if they hadn't had earlier the idea that this person was a dangerous person at first. But then it reveals, oh, they're actually trying to help. He was trying to help her. Not the first movie to do it, but. I actually thought it was done very well because at the end of the day, anyone's going to be scared of if, if you're in that kind of an area staying at a house there and a legit homeless man is actually trying to run to your house while you are outside. That is one of the most real life terrifying things you can imagine. Um, So the fact that there was another layer, like everything about this movie had another layer to it in some way. And that's what I thought was really interesting. Um, Regarding the very clear super strength the monster had, which is a fair point, inbreeding does not equal super strength. (laughs) One one thing that was kind of interesting to look at, though, is you can tell... So there's these series of tunnels underneath the house. So there's at least two or maybe three sections that were built at different times. Now, clearly the movie never directly referenced or stated this. I'm I'm taking a bit of a leap of faith here. But there's a clearly a part that was built by the dude and then slowly but surely started being dug down by generations, so to speak. Well, to dig through large portions of earth like that 
you know, that would take a lot of strength because it didn't look like they had any tools that I could see. So they were doing that with their bare hands. So it could be, and again, taking a stretch, that, you know, she gained strength over time, having to dig all those pits and holes, plus setting up all those, you know, what are the equivalent of cages down there, um, could have could have applied to her strength. Now, obviously, yes, she was able to do things that were pretty insane, but to that end, I did give it just the horror movie discount, I guess, where I just like, oh, why didn't not- they get, oh, why didn't they get like radon poisoning in the tunnels? Oh my God. Well, <laughs> look, see, to, to, if that's really your defense, it, it's a ridiculous defense, but digging <laughs> is a damn good workout. So I will accept it. Um, I, I think, again, this this is, sorry, sorry, really quickly. Yeah. This was a pervasive problem throughout the film. It does logic out, but it does not read well. It's a, it's it's like the prequels. It's like how prequel fanboys always have, like, a defense for any of the terrible decisions that went into the prequels that, like, you know, works. It squares well with the lore, but it still kind of makes you feel really if I may, if I may, and if I may add to one other thing, there are horror movies, non supernatural horror movies that take equally big leaps of faith. That for me, oh, for me, I still enjoy. Like a good example is uh, in Silence of the Lambs, the way in which Hannibal Lecter gets away at the end. You do need to apply some pretty large leaps of faith. But guess what? No, I still enjoyed it. I think that maybe that's a different podcast, but I think we should like that for me was totally believable. The the face part was believable? That was Yeah. Okay. Dude, I, we'll hey man, I saw it when I was a senior in high school and I was just like, bro, he's a genius. Like no, this is a this is a movie about a smart person written by a smart person. And there's and, something very rewarding about being treated to an experience like that. And not to delve too much into that, but I agree that's the same vibe I got from that. But what I'm saying is it's like Oof. there are horror movies that I feel take wait, 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 as wait, large wait. leaps that also work. Well, sorry. So you're sorry. Um, no. I, I just I just want to know. You're saying you got the same vibe, like you you thought that was a good writing decision to have him escape in that way, or because because that's the vibe. I no, got. it was the vibe okay. I got was it was a really good planned. it was a good writing it was a good decision. But again, I still think there were some some leaps of faith there. But again, this isn't about the Silence of the Lambs. I'm just right. I, I, I thought it was a good plan, and I feel like it would have worked in real life. But Al, we haven't heard your overall thoughts on the film yet. Well, so. I straight off the bat, I mean, I was talking to Lord about this earlier today, but I absolutely loved the film. Um, I think I loved it mo- more, not because, because like I would, th- there were times where I was scared, but I was never like, oh God, I need to leave this room as I was with something like uh, Ari Aster's Hereditary, where I almost really did walk out of that room. Um, I have to say that one of the things I really, really enjoyed about this film that I just don't see a lot of horror films do is that this is very much a character piece about selfishness versus selflessness and how having too much of either is a big fucking problem. Um, I I found it so... I don't want to say refreshing because that's really stereotypical. I I, I was very... I, I really enjoyed the how this the screenplay was formatted out that... Essentially, the entire first two acts are basically separate character pieces of 
basically polar opposites in every re in every way imaginable, both visually, emotionally, and psychologically. Uh, you have our you have our main protagonist uh, Tess, played by Georgina Campbell, who is basically this this selfless person to a fault. She always wants to help. She always wants to accommodate. She always wants to to not be in the way of any of anyone. And while she is, she acknowledges this, she knows it's a problem to have when she's having her conversation with Bill Skarsgård's character Keith, where she's like, where she's like, I only I only took up your offer because I didn't want to be rude, uh, you know, I didn't want to be rude or be be seen as pushy or be seen as like not trusting you. And Keith goes like, well, actually, no, your 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 gut instinct is totally correct. I mean, I'm a stranger. We're we're both in a place that neither of us know. It makes total sense that you know you wouldn't want me here. Um, and you you get that. You see that everything she does, where her first gut instinct is to be like, actually, no, this is a bad idea. But either because she's trying to save Keith or she's trying to save Justin Long's character, AJ, or she's trying to get help or, you know, she <laughs> she just she just wants to be selfless. It always ends up biting her in the ass. And it's not until literally the last scene of the film where she's being confronted by this force of nature who, in a way, is a victim of circumstance, but is basically the final obstacle to safety where she's like, this thing is not malevolent, but it's in my, it, it, it threatens my safety. I have to put myself first. And she, she takes the shot, you know, and in the end you see her finally picking herself up and getting her herself some help in a, in a very literal way, going to a hospital uh, versus someone like AJ played by Justin Long, who everything about him is selfish He's a famous actor, which already is kind of like setting it up that this is a selfish guy. All he cares about is fame and attention. Um, you know, he's in the midst of a, of a Me Too problem. And, you know, when he talks about when he talks about what actually happened, he frames it in a very self-serving and selfish way. Uh, the reason he gets into trouble, he gets involved in the tunnels under the house that he owns is because... Not because he's trying to help somebody or he wants to see what's going on. He's literally doing it because he wants more money out of selling his property. Because he looks up on the internet like, can I put these tunnels as extra square footage of the house? And he just starts measuring things, right? Like, on, and, you know, kind of going back to what Lord says, a lot of stuff here just, or actually, no, it was Gov. Where Gov says a lot of things don't track, a lot of things don't seem to work. But in the moment, you know... I'm, I'm just laughing because of how, not because of how outrageous, well, the, the situation is outrageous, but because just of the other selfishness of AJ's character, right? So ultimately, I think this is, this is more character study versus monster film. Whereas, you know, then we get like, we get a third point of view, which is the barbarian in question, uh, Frank. Uh, when we see him, when you see him stalking and getting ready to kidnap a young woman to become a sex slave, uh, we see kind of like that higher level of selfishness to where it just becomes being a abhorrent human monster, right? And uh, we kind of see the fruits of that, which is this force of nature who is on IMDb is just credited as the mother, where 
Mm. Even even she herself is selfish. She has no children, and because she has no children, but obviously wants children, she takes she takes a couple people as her prisoner and forces them to be her adopted children. Now that's another form of selfishness. But ironically, it's also the most innocent because she she has she she has no interaction with society, right? She's totally cut off from all the norms, all the all the proper protocols on how to be an actual human being. Um, so when you guys call her a monster, I don't agree. I think it's she's more a representation of a force of nature, right? A tragic force of nature, uh, because ultimately there is no malevolence there, but it's kind of like how Werner Herzog says, there's no inherent good or evil in nature, it just is. And the nature of the mother is kind of this, this, inhuman inbred mutant monster that while yes i think we all know that repeated instances of incest with the person who is your great great grandfather how many grandfathers frank is to her um you don't get that you you'll get something closer to someone with um with some physical deformities but nothing that'll give them what is basically human strength but you know this is a horror film and when, when I go into horror, when I go into any genre, I know that all tropes, all logical narrative or all logic within the narrative that happens is going to happen within a certain trappings of said genre. And with horror, it's like, well, how, how can we make this be something scary, something disgusting? How, how can we create the result out of that? Right. So that's kind of how I go into every horror film, because, again, a, a lot of horror films make you take leaps of logic that just don't track. If you think about it, like for instance, um, I, I just think of, I just think of like Friday the Thirteenth, where you know you're like, okay, you're killing teenagers because they hurt your kids, your kid, but now you're just killing teenagers just to kill teenagers. What's that all about? Um, <laughs> but, but you know, you accept them. You accept like, okay, Jason, Jason kills teenagers, Freddy. Freddy kills people in dreams and in weird sort of semi-erotic ways. And who are uh, also teenagers. And who are also teenagers. And, oh, uh, Leatherface. There are so many easier ways to kill someone that isn't just a chainsaw, but he always has to use a chainsaw, even though an axe would be so much better. But, you know, we accept them and we go on and whatever. So alt- overall, my thoughts on the film are that this is less of a monster flick and more of a character study of the nature of selfishness and selfishness and how having too much of either is just a bad thing for everybody involved. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I know you guys, uh, Gov and Lord, you guys have a list of the stuff you want to talk about the film. So please uh, start reading the list and we can start discussing them. Well, actually, Al, I, I thought that was a really good analysis, but... Um... I mean, yeah, it's a study of two of the characters and then you know, then some of the other characters don't seem to be very well studied at all. Yeah. I mean, uh, in, in all seriousness, I think that was a very, I, I, I have my own thoughts and feelings on it, but um, you made a very good case there. Uh, personally, if you want to look at it um, just in terms of character development, not how the characters are written, you know, on a, on a word to word dialogue basis, which did not work for me. Um, not how the characters were cast, which was 
utterly flawless on every possible level, but but purely at character development, you know, like what what decisions were made when they were tacking up story beats to the bulletin board. Um, you could very well make the argument, and I believe you just did, that it's a masterpiece in terms of character development. Um, there were many, many, many lines that didn't land for either of us on this end. Uh, more often than not, I would say that was a problem. And um, yeah, I mean, visually, visually, because that is my wheelhouse. I, I think it was sort of a failure visually. Um, I haven't given my general thoughts on the film. And there, there's a lot of crossover there with this list that we made. Um, but I was just going to say, because you want to give credit where credit is due. You mentioned the, um, you know, the the no real villains argument, you know, which, which is um, not every film has to obey that rule. But that that can be the mark of a good film, especially when done correctly. Um, I think uh, James Cameron said uh, something similar in his Masterclass series where he was talking about the, the mother, you know, another dark mother. Uh, from another horror movie, Aliens. And he contended that the the mother from Aliens is not a villainess. You know, she's she's being a good mother. She's she's protecting her young from aliens. So uh, he, he made a very good case um, for why he was sympathetic to her. And obviously that sympathy comes out in the form of a very well-realized, very complex character. And that's what you have to do to get there. Right, so to give credit where credit is due, did... Barbarian accomplished that one feat. I think it certainly did, and I think you're certainly correct about that. Uh, but then we, we could maybe segue from that into why neither of us uh, liked the film as a whole. <laughs> I I mean, so yeah, no, totally. Give kind of yeah. I I guess because you guys said you had a list, we can go down yeah. the list and we can discuss them. You or you got or or if you prefer, just kind of give like your general thoughts because I know you and you and Lord are kind of both together so so i know like well. there's a lot of crossover there <laughs> not like that not like that unders <laughs> um, and throughs and in and outs all right they didn't need to know that but like here's the thing um i have been keeping the list at bay because personally there is a lot of thing bad content on the internet and you probably didn't invite us to this podcast to trash something that both of you clearly enjoyed uh, um, no, like I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, we're yeah. not we're not trying to persuade you. We generally, I yeah, mean, we're not trying to persuade you. To be clear, right? Well, we're you know we're not trying to persuade you either. Maybe he is. I'm not. Um, <laughs> okay, so so the the, the first note uh, says verbatim: "Movie sucked ears." <laughs> I was totally, <laughs> I was totally emotionally uninvested until the lead guy, and I, I guess that's Bill Skarsgård could not have been cast better. Um, what it says is, I was totally emotionally uninvested until the lead guy went to investigate the basement on his own. You know, after, after the girl test begs him not to. That, that was the first time I really felt concerned about the characters. Um, that said, I think Bill Skarsgård's character, I mean, I, I, I delay, I delay the shit talk, right? I thought Bill Skarsgård's character could not have been cast more perfectly. He, he looks so 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 nice but that just it's too nice you know it's clearly a veneer and that i think is why he's always cast as like a traitor 
in Maniac or in um, No Spoilers for No Time to Die, you know, which is okay because that was not a good movie. But um, you know, in, in Maniac, you you know he's gonna be a traitor. There's no question of that. Like he literally says to Owen at the beginning, "I will betray you if you, you know, if you tell the truth." So anyway, um. He was cast perfectly because there are three drives. There are three drives at work here, right? And I think narratively, Barbarian does use its genre to its advantage. It's somewhat of a self-aware film. And, um, you know, Bill Skarsgård's character, he has three drives, which are number one, he has been wronged by Airbnb and he wants to make things right. Number two, he's in a situation, he's thrust into this situation with this cute girl and he, he, is a nice guy from what we can tell at first, but he's not going to screw that up, you know? So he wants to be accommodating to her. Is he doing that because he's a good guy? Like he genuinely wants the best for her? Or is he doing that because of some ulterior motive? Well, obviously there is a sex drive. You know, that's the second drive. He's clearly a nice guy, unless that's of course a veneer, but there's a sex drive. And then, you know, to what extent does he have that under control? And to what extent... Has he let that take over his life completely? And every other part of his life is just him covering up the extent to which he as a person is a naked sex drive. Um, And then, of course, the third drive would be what if he's actually like lying about everything, not not just lying about his motivation for not wanting Tess to leave because he he is nice to her, but conspicuously he's nice to her in a way that prevents her from leaving. But that could, of course, be explained by sex drive, which if he doesn't have that under control is scary. But then it's really, really scary if the entire thing is a lie from top to bottom and he's not even on Airbnb and he he set all of this up as a way to trap women in his in his torture chamber. You know, you, you're like, what level is this guy on? Level one, level two, level three. So the film did really keep me on the edge of my seat. And I was so sure that he was going to be the villain. So you know, in fairness to the film, that was a good twist. Um, and I think that the trailer did a good job of not giving that away, which is is very, very rare in modern movie marketing. So that's another commendation. Um, do you want to hear the dislikes? <laughs> go for um, it. Uh, yeah, no, go for it. I, I would just say, you know, maybe choose your like top three, like the, the biggest ones that that just made that are just like super unforgivable for both of you. The- that's good. That's good. Because, because the, I, I hate, you know, like online criticism that's like mostly boils down to nitpicks with no thesis. There are quite a few of those. Um, I would say uh, as a gestalt, um, as Milord pointed out, a lot of it comes down to convention. Um, for example, well, I don't know. I, we, we already went over that. Okay, let me scroll down. Hang on, let me scroll down. I'm going to touch the phone. There might be like a, a noise. <laughs> You're good. Okay. Um, Convention. This film relied very, very, very heavily on convention from a narrative perspective um, and and a character development perspective. There's a lot of real effort put in there to subvert convention. And it was done in a delightful way. But I think a lot of that effort was spent on the conceptualization. Um, The dialogue itself really, really fell flat for me. Uh, Throughout the whole film, I was going like, you know, people don't talk like this. And he was even saying it out loud. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, do you want to mention the specific uh, 9-11? Uh, I mean, sorry. <laughs> You're <laughs> reading a different note. <laughs> don't say that on the podcast. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, yeah, the, 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 like with Justin Long's character, I mean, I was just making fun of him, like before we were going to do the podcast. I was, he, he did a lot of just like, um, you know, he would just say his action and say, where's my phone? Where's my phone? I need to find my phone, you know, like, uh, right. And, and again, what, what C was saying, um, it's a horror movie. You have to accept it for what it is. The character is in a dark room. Um, you know, it's difficult to telegraph desires like that to the audience. So it's a it's a dude in a dark room. You can't really tell what's going on. It's helpful How, for him. But but it was a little the way it was done was a little hackneyed. And I mean, just pretty much every time somebody opens their mouth, it's kind of cheesy, like uh, the the police officers, the interview lady. I mean, I feel right. Like the, yeah, they could have used another pass. There was, yeah, it, it did feel very second drafty and I'm being very liberal with that there, <laughs> but, um, no, uh, we both noticed that when, when the, when Tess is begging the cops to, for them to throw her a bone, it's a very, very conventional, we don't believe you lady. And there's no, there's no effort put in to make the cops distinct characters. We didn't necessarily need for them to be distinct characters, but they felt very, very stock. They felt like stock characters and the dialogue really felt like it was pulled out of a, you know, how to write a horror movie book, have the cop disbelieve the, and, and I think you, you, you used the word obvious. You said they, they brushed her off in the most obvious way Ob yeah. in terms of the word choice that was used for their dialogue. It was, there were very obvious choices that were made. Um, the, moving away from that completely, because we don't want to get too sucked into the specifics on um, visuals. I am a visual guy. I shoot, I light, I edit, I do special effects. I do too many different things. That's why nobody takes me seriously. Check him out on Instagram at right. gov.gov. <laughs> gov.gov. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I'm a visual guy. I didn't like how it was shot. It was so subversive in, in terms of the writing, but it was so, so, so conventional in terms of the actual brass tacks, you know, the word choice of the dialogue and the way it was shot. See, this is why I didn't want to, I, I, I heard about this movie Barbarian. I've been reading a lot about um, uh, uh, the, the, the Teutoburg forest recently. So I thought it was a movie about real barbarians and I was very excited. And then Al told me it was horror. And then my interest just dropped like a rock because I, I dread modern horror. And in every possible, and not in, a good, not in the way that it wants me to dread it, <laughs> in, in, in a way that's outside of the text. And everything that disappoints me about modern horror was fully on display in this film. Well, yeah, Gov, it's I the remember you laughed when we saw it. So that was okay, silly. true. But it, look, it's the same shots over and over again. We're in a house. There's a shot of a doorknob. You know, the lights are out. Somebody's using a phone as a light. Panting, claustrophobic shots. Whether it's that type of horror movie or not. Always claustrophobic shots. We're in the basement. We're always in the basement because that's the only room of the house in modern times that has any character. You know, in, in contrast to the clinical white walls everywhere else in this and all such films. And, you know, the, the use of like a vintage baby bottle prop to make it look scary. The vintage VHS tape about breastfeeding. It's like, yeah, no, it works, but it sucks. So, so I, I would have to disagree with you. I think especially the first scene to me was very visually unique because it's basically doing the, the old, it was a dark and stormy night, literally. Uh, you know, she looks to her right and her left and all she sees is pure pitch black. She thinks she's in the middle of nowhere. 
And I, I know that this, this has been done in previous films before, but what was different about this was the narrative purpose of said shot is that subsequently in the morning when she goes out the door and she looks out, what does she see but the ruins of what was former suburban Detroit? And I, I guess what, what, what really like scratched that itch for me was that I've recently, well, not recently, but I, I was, I've driven past by areas of that in the Midwest where it's like did these uh, bourbon tore down buildings and as you're driving past them, there's just this sense of dread and unease because it's almost like you're in, you're in this post-apocalyptic scenario. And what I appreciate, hey, don't talk shit about my hometown. We're going there in less than a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what, what I, what I loved about that was that the cinematography really brings about that sense of unease when you're just kind of like, like, wow, what's, what's behind those torn down walls what what horrible secrets are are is in this wasteland, right? Like th these okay, kind of fair, subconscious fair. thoughts that are in your head. Um, now that being said, that's I, totally yeah. That that's being, totally okay. You go, you go. Fuck. Uh, so and then just kind of add to that. I, I do agree with you. Uh, the 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 subterranean tunnel scenes. I mean, you know, the, the, there's nothing innovative there. there. There really isn't. I mean, straight Thank up, there, there's nothing innovative there. That being said the the sequence involving frank when we go back to the 1970s uh when we get like these really interesting sort of point of view shots like kind of these the camera that's that's on this like fixed tripod following him and the yes. car walking out and with these i i assume they're wide angle lenses to give this sense of distortion and unease where i felt like i was i was like in a weird terry gilliam scene you know i that i was like i haven't seen that in a horror film for a good minute uh, definitely not since since like the past half decade and it i i was really into that because you know there's nothing overtly horrifying in the that sequence right it's bright it's sunny you know it's a guy telling a lady that like i'm about to have a baby soon what what do i need but because we have all this loaded narrative context because you know we we know what frank must Frank is somehow responsible for what has happened, you know, and as we learn, like, oh, how, how is this guy attached to the tunnels? Oh, 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 my God. And it ends with that shot of him closing the door and you hear the screams. I thought that mix of sound, of cinematography, I that to me was when the film hit its peak, when I was like, oh, wow, this Zach Krager guy really knows what he wants. And this whole sequence where I... <sighs> I feel like with someone who did not have a very, very clear idea of the emotion he wanted to invoke with this sequence, if he did not have a very clear vision on that, we would have just been like, okay, we're, we're seeing a guy get stuff and then he closes the door and we hear a woman scream. That could have been cut. But because of the way he shot it, the way, the way, the way he used the post-production sound, I thought was very, very well done. But again, kind of to give you, to, to, to agree with you in some way, Gov, is that a lot of the rest of the stuff, like, yeah, there's nothing innovative there. Really, outside of those two sequences, everything else is pretty, you know, standard. I, I wouldn't say bad, and I wouldn't say sucks, but I would say standard. Yeah, so that's a very, very, very good defense. Um, I mostly agree with everything you said about the flashback. Um, going back to the very beginning of your statement, what you were saying about the, the dark and stormy night, in a way, that actually proves my point, 
it's only impressive because of the context. You have to appeal to the narrative context to be able to call it innovative. The, the fact is like, you know, dilapidated buildings, urban decay, like that, that's scary because it's scary visually. And it's so, so, so conventional. You're, you're right that in the specific context of this film, um, there is something innovative about that. But the unfortunate thing is that, it, you know, it, it, it's almost like, I mean, it's, it's not this, but it's almost like, you know, putting one dot on a canvas and selling it for $4 million because it makes some incredibly deep statement about the war in Ukraine. Like, it, you know, it, <laughs> you can certainly make an argument that it's deep because of the context, but that is a, an argument that appeals to the narrative, not the visual. And, and the fact is that none of the visuals are innovative. They're only innovative when you consider the context. If you didn't speak English and you just watched this film without the subversive context, you would say this is exactly like every other horror movie. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the vision center of my brain is um, exactly like is telling me that it's exactly like every other horror movie. You have to slog through an hour of the film to get to the 70s flashback. And um, my lord here actually fell asleep uh, right before we got to that point. Um, <laughs> we started the film, you know, we, we were planning on, go I, I guess we started the film at 9.50 or like around when we were planning on going to the theater. And we had both gotten up at noon that day. He freaking fell asleep before we even got to that part. So the fact is those, those tunnel shots, they're just boring, you know, and it, it's really there's what's unfortunate is with modern horror, with horror set in present day, you have to really hunt and dig to find something creepy looking in our incredibly polished modern world. And what's unfortunate about that is it leads to the same shots over and over again. You know, something vintage that's thrown in to, to give it, you know, character and and a, a creepy, you know, like like the baby bottle like the vhs tapes like the crt television there's urban decay there are tunnels you know the basement walls you know stone you know moldy cobwebs water trickling so, down it's, gov, it's horrible it's been done so many times so gov real quick there is at least some interesting visual to the to the neighbor not just the neighborhood but the dilapidated neighborhood and the one well put together house there is something there that's interesting to look at like just the, I mean, you're, you're not wrong um i but yeah go on, go on well that. no 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 it, it's basically what i'm saying it's 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 kind of you know cuz it would be one thing it was just oh they're they're searching throughout an abandoned old house in a dilapidated neighborhood but the dilapidation of the area has such a stronger effect when you real cuz there's kind of a a trick in the lighting a little bit well not lighting i should say but you know, at night, you know, you just see almost total darkness, but a, a well put together polished house. And then in the daytime, yeah. it's it almost is a little jarring, but in a kind of good way for me, where you still see that polished house and actual like rotting homes surrounding it completely. That for me was very visually interesting, even if I for think just a moment. I think it could have been used differently. I think like like a helicopter pullout or something, or I guess to, today they'd use a drone, would be very well served there. I feel like they didn't milk that because mm. for me, like I, I get what you're saying and that's a good point. Um, and it did sort of work, but for me that never, that never, you know, that, that, that never set off that spark that makes you go, oh, this horror movie's different. 
you know, to, to be honest, objectively speaking, it is different. But like I saw the whole film uh, and we, we've now been discussing the film for an hour and a half plus, And, and I still don't feel that way. You, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the reality is the raw experience of watching the film doesn't really offer anything different. That's my contention. And my Lord, do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, highly agree. <laughs> raw experience bad. Um, the the only thing I would add in terms of when 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 Gov when you mentioned that the visuals, you know, like you you need innovative visuals or no, that's not exactly what you're saying. But it, you it, do. I am. <laughs> okay. Okay. Feel free to strawman me as much as you freaking want. Okay. I'm not okay. Down on this. So film so, is a visual medium. If you fail visually, you fail. I would I would say this. Without sound and without the narrative context, The Godfather is literally about a bunch of Italians in dark rooms uh, killing each other, and that's yeah, that's it. why it's not as good as like say Metropolis. But but when you have when you have sound and when you have narrative context, it is a metaphor. It is probably the greatest metaphor for modern American capitalism we have right now. <laughs> right, but that's also why it's not a perfect film because it relies so heavily on things that aren't film for it to be a good film. You know, in in all the years I've known Gov, I never thought he would have the this hot take about the Godfather. So, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for a fight, you know. I'm feeling <laughs> we, no, we, we talked we so much about things we agree about. That's true. That's true. That's true. And actually, <laughs> actually, you know, I I would Here's the thing with Metropolis. I've se- I've seen like three different versions with three different soundtracks. Each each version, I've been like, I get like different emotional feelings from it. So, I, I just want to point out real quick about Metropolis. I love how they keep finding more footage from it. Like every <laughs> dude, few what years. if it's a conspiracy? It might be. Like every it few might, years, they're like, really we found thirty more hours, and like, what the fuck? Where? Wait, dude. Okay, this this is all you do is you, you pump a ton of money and effort, and like, it's not just a trick. There is a ton of money and effort that went into Metropolis, and mm-hmm. it's Fritz Long. I mean, yeah. come on. But what if the plan was just like to make a movie that's like pretty good, and then just be like, oh, it's the greatest movie ever. It's the greatest movie ever. It's just oh, what a shame. We lost a bunch of footage from the greatest movie ever. <laughs> and then they have this plan where like every ten years they like release a little more of it, and they're like, oh, but the part that's missing is like the greatest part. If only we could find that. And then they just do that like every day. Isn't isn't so, that what the, they've they've said about the the lost Orson Welles film, the Magnificent Ambersons? That's the greatest. But they movie. released that in full, right? Did they? No, you're no, thinking they did. of the the name of the wind. Thank you. I am uh, thinking about that, the name of the wind. That's uh, the other side of the wind. Okay. Yeah. It's a wind movie. I know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of wind in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I still want to see that movie is basically he was trying to make a movie that wasn't popular in that era, and that's why it never got finished. Um. So gross. actually, uh, Lord, I like. Uh, I know you guys have that list on you. What was like the other thing, like the big sin of the film that you guys were like, we just cannot accept this. Oh, well, um, that happens to be, uh, yeah, Justin Long's character arc. Yeah, or yep. Justin Long himself. We weren't very impressed. Like the per- not even the character, like the, per- the real life person. Yeah, he, he disappointed us. I mean, Let, let's be, okay, wait, wait, Steel Man, Steel Man. He was cast perfectly, just like everybody else in this film. He was perfect for that role. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I still feel like his, my, my top Justin Long performance would be Tusk. Mm, good choice. Um, my, yeah, but my, I mean, my top performance <laughs> from Justin Long is Mac. 
my my uh my top performance from just as long is accepted so <laughs> dude okay you took the words right out of me. real <laughs> shit i was 100 percent gonna say accepted let's do a long sorry galaxy high quest yes so so what exactly about the real justin, films what exactly about was it justin long's performance or the way his character was written or the way yeah. well i mean there's a lot to unpack lord why don't because you were the one who pointed this out i wrote it down let me hang on there's going to be a little sound because i'm gonna have to touch the screen no problem all right so i have scrolled down to the bottom now we got a lot of meat right here um, and th this is something you pointed out. We talked about this a lot, developed some of these ideas, and I, and I took some notes. And really, it has to do with the fact that, um, let, let me just say, these are his words, not mine, but he put it so succinctly. We were discussing the film. He did a great job of just summing the whole thing up. He said, thank you. I'm such a big fan of this guy's way with words that I'm not going to let him talk at all. Nope. Um, but he, he said when we were discussing this film, he goes from being, you know, kind of a douchebag to, okay, this guy's actually evil. This guy's a rapist to wanting to be good, you know, maybe maybe he can actually be good. Maybe he can become the hero of this film, back to being bad. All of it fell flat. None of it landed for either of us. And if they really wanted to set up and use his character in that way, number one, they would have had to invest much more of the film in focusing on him. The, the, the fact is to develop a character to be that complex um, really means that he, he can't be you know, relegated the way Justin Long's character is rele relegated. And the second thing is just the word choice. Like his dialogue just was not believable at all. Like there's the scene with, you know, a very uncool trope, the har the magical Negro uh, that Millard mentioned where he's sitting there, they're all sitting around the fire. And then um, Justin Long's character, you know, right, right after he, he goes, I hurt somebody that matters. And it's like, no, that whole monologue, just no, it was unearned. That's what the problem was. It was an unearned film moment. Yeah. I mean, and if we were supposed to believe that he was lying, that wasn't telegraphed either. So no matter what interpretation of that is, uh, it just didn't work. And uh, yeah, I mean, if they really wanted us to believe that he had a change, you know, none of that was on screen he was just acting like a normal uh horror movie character you know for the last 30 minutes and then you know he just comes out just deciding that he's changed after the recent events that he's just you know experienced didn't just didn't believe it at all and it just it, it didn't really work and it was just laughable uh, <laughs> i i feel like you know yeah zach Kreger comedy but we're not laughing at you now <laughs> <laughs> so i i gotta say like i sh like out of everything we've talked about so far i sh really strongly disagree with with kind of how that let's go uh, let's that, fucking that, go <laughs> that monologue is gonna end like straight up from the beginning when he starts talking i like not and this isn't consciously this is just subconsciously my brain's just going like oh he's acting and not particularly well. And and mm. like I, I I don't know if I, I don't know how to explain it because this isn't like I'm I'm actively trying to believe him. It's literally me watching him talking to this homeless guy that he just met, 
like he's either confessing to hurting Tess or he's confessing to hurting uh, the co-star of the pilot he was on. Yeah, that was kind of clever. That that was I I like when films do that. But um, in a comedic yeah, but the, the points for that a point for that. But <laughs> I I never for once thought he was being sincere. In, in fact, mm. the the way and I I never thought I would say this about Justin Long. I think he really, really has a good strength playing duplicitous people. Uh, well, because he comes, okay. he, he comes yeah. off as, mm. yeah. you know, he comes like when we first meet him, we're like, oh, look at this, this goofy guy living his best life. And then we, we see, we see him talking with his agents and with the, with the producers of the picture. And they basically tell him, hey, you've been accused of being a rapist. And he basically plays the whole like, it's a misunderstanding. Nothing happened. You know, he's he's a douchebag. He's a douchebag. He's a douchebag. Uh, and then when he confesses to his friend, when he says what really happens, uh, the fact is, is that the awkwardness to me, to me, and, you know, obviously you guys felt a complete lack of sincerity from it. But to me, there was like this, this strange undercurrent of awkwardness like like of someone confessing like actually is i might have right right no that 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 wasn't that that, what fell flat for me i mean you do get a sense that like he's he's very scummy and no matter what he's saying what actually happened is probably even worse than what he's telling his best friend because he's scummy enough to lie to his best friend. exactly you you do get a sense of that That, conceptually that that being said and (laughs) this is totally like this is just totally an aside. Uh, when he answers the call of his friend and the thing he says, <laughs> me and C just started laughing so hard because. <laughs> Remind you, you got her. What up, faggot? That just happened so many times and we were laughing. Um, anyway, no, uh, but back, back to the monologue. I, I never for, I never for a second felt like the film was trying to convinced me that that was sincere in fact the only moment i think uh i think we get the sincerity of the character of aj is when 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 the mother bursts through the wall which i admit is ridiculous bursts through the wall tears off the arm of the homeless man and, and justin long just starts running away like an abject coward leaving behind a woman who he shot that's the only moment I feel like that's supposed to be the real AJ. Everything else yeah. is, is a performance, right? Or, that That's that's how I saw the character. Um, in terms of the dialogue, actually, I would agree with you guys. The dialogue's, the, the dialogue's not that memorable, not that Thank special. You. The way he announces everything he does is just grating. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's one of those things where well, I, this is pure conjecture. And you know what? I might just be giving the filmmaker a bit too much credit. It seems like one of those Clearly. things. It seems, it seems like one of those things where he goes like, "No, I gotta write him as grating as possible, so that you know there's an there's this uh, satisfaction when he dies in the gruesome way that he dies." Now that could be pure conjecture on my part. It could be that Zach Krieger really can't write above the undercurrent cringiness that was in uh, "Whitest Kids You Know." How how is that supposed to be a study of character if he's also just writing him to be as irritating as possible? Like <laughs> because, because the idea the idea behind his character is that you're supposed to see what 
kind of the polar opposite of what Tess is, where Tess is too much of a selfless person who's willing to ignore red flags just to accommodate someone else. He has to be someone who has to be super selfish, who like, like, you know, that person who's just so self-centered that you can't be more than five minutes with him before you're like, Ugh, I can't stand you. I right. In fact, that's why we're shocked that we've made it through this much of the podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Um, but oh, wow. so what is your definition of study of character? Um, I think it is that, you know, we're presented, we're presented with characters, right? It, it, in my view, this film is contrasting two separate characters. Um, in contra- I know that, but aside from this film, Imagine you had never seen this film. What would your definition of a study of character film be? A film? Like, what's the archetypical study of character I feel like our word choice you? is getting worse because it's getting way later. That like, is true. <laughs> um, a, a much better joke would have been... Okay, no, no. Um, we, we should definitely... Um, we have only two notes on our end. Only two notes on our end that we haven't gotten to yet. And then... Um, if, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm interrupting. I'm interrupting. No, Al, you go. Um, well, actually, it's good to acknowledge the passage time is all. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're, you're right. You're I, right. I AD'd something recently and I think that part I, of my brain before is you get to the, wait, 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 Before you get to last those two things, there is one subtle thing about the mother that I want to point out that was interesting. Oh, okay. That's what our notes are about. So, is it to, Al, do you want to say your thing before the segue actually, or after? Actually, our notes are, the only two notes are on the mother. Uh, no, actually, uh, you know, see, you actually should probably get your thought across. <laughs> Let me just say this one thing about the mother. So throughout, I like, so before we know what the mother is, we hear this strange sound besides the feet of the mother walking around the house, which was like, and we were like, what? Is, I, I remember throughout the whole movie, I'm like, what the hell is that? And then you realize it's her giving like kisses to the things she likes. Yes. And that does add for me, that added some, an, that was very interesting to figure out. Cause like, once you see her do it, you're like, oh my God, that's like her liking something. And so when you realize that she was going throughout the house and to describe it now, it's a little funny, but there is a creepy factor of her going throughout the house and choosing the things she likes for later for her to take and to her underground tunnels. There is oh, something right, creepy right. And about this is, that. This is where the film succeeds on a conceptual level. Um, that works so well just on its own, but it works even better with, uh, you know, interwoven with the idea that Bill Skarsgård is a potential rapist and he's like making, you know, kissy noises because he can't keep his sex drive under control because that's an earlier point in the film where you're still suspicious that he's the villain, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a total success in, in that regard. Um, are you guys ready for the two notes that we have here on the dark? Month? I have, of course. I have, before you say about the mother, the, yeah. my, my only, my only issue for this film, I'll say, cause I, you know, even though I haven't said too much, I do, you know, I think it's fair to say Al and I like this movie while, uh, Gov and Lord, uh, my Lord, uh, were not as into it, but one critique I'll give about this movie is this movie had a movie gets to have one red herring not eight so that not that this movie literally had eight but this movie had a lot of red herrings for no reason and i get that the point was to deflect actually much like the title it was meant to throw people off but there Hmm. were a few too many like i i I do see that 
Well, the, this, this, allow me to play Hegel for a moment. This could be the synthesis. I think that if you read, because this is obviously a twist movie, and this is a movie that's very much built around subverting expectations. I think if you read Justin Long's character as making a sincere effort to change, and part of the tension is you as the audience wondering whether he's going to be able to make that change or not, that obviously falls flat and the film's a failure. And I think the, the film encourages you to read his development that way because it is that type of film. Would you at least agree to that? I can see that, yeah. I can I... See that. Right, so then the other, the, the, the other side of the synthesis is if you simply read his character as a total scumbag and we are not meant to entertain the idea that he has any redemptive quality and what you're seeing is not the film teasing him evolving into one of the good guys, but rather it's a character study of him trying to cover up those regrettable aspects of his, you know, immature, selfish personality, then it, it flies. And maybe it, how much, you know, what angle you come at it from is determined by whether you think the film is trying to use him to pull another twist or not. And, and I think that's a reasonable assumption at that point. So I think whether, whether you, um, you think that his character succeeds or fails conceptually, that seems to come down more to your relationship with the film. And I think both of those different angles are legitimate, but I think that's why we didn't like him. And I think that's why you guys did like him. And that's, that's my analysis du jour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that I fall onto the second uh, statement you made the second idea but that being said i i liked him in the sense of like like that's your category that's the category you're in as yeah 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 and gotcha. i i i liked him because it's like oh he's so scummy and it, it, like to to uh to kind of something it's it's like when you see something so outrageous that you just can't help but giggle to yourself Right. But you, you got to understand, like we're we're used to this movie throwing a lot of twists at us that for us fell flat. So we're now at this point in the film where they're giving him the gun, you know, and they're giving him the inner moral struggle. And we're both kind of sitting there like, don't try to tease a twist where this guy becomes the hero. So it was just doomed from the beginning, mm -hmm. in addition to the fact that his character is just poorly written on, on a word to word basis. Mm -hmm. So we found no um you know nothing interesting about his arc at all would you agree with that oh yeah 100 percent in agreement there just uh not an interesting character so and i, I really think it's a difference in how you read him you know yeah. and, and i think the way that the you know the film set all of that up i think that the way we read him is legitimate i think the way you guys read him is legitimate too and i think that determines how much you get out of his arc yeah now what 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 issues did you guys have with the mother well visibility so again I'm, I'm a visual guy now the thing is give me two minutes 120 seconds i will never not rep young and that's really gonna piss off my lord here because he's actually working on a really big long uh bit off more than he could chew young project excuse so he's me bit off more than he can <laughs> chew he must uh Really, I mean, I'm the only working filmmaker out of the bunch. I think. Well, I know what your wow. job is. Wow, Jung, just Jung's stabbing us right in the heart. In terms of biting <laughs> off, let's see who bites off who we, more wow. than who they can choose. Jung would, of course, say that your inner explorer son has outpaced your inner analytical 
uh, you know, building and constructing father. So you are exploring lands that are, are beyond what you can tame, and therein lies your problem. I mean, look, also, Carl Jung, wasn't he, like, around 100 years ago? And didn't he just do, like, fuck tons of drugs and shit? Like, should we really be listening to what that guy says? What drugs? so. <laughs> Moving on. This is anyway. quite an accusation. Okay, so. The scene where she gets Wait a hit, minute. That does not count as my 120 hurt. seconds. So, the thing <laughs> is, you have, you have these, um, these archetypes, uh, which are divided along one axis, you know, masculine and feminine. And then you can divide again into um not not active and passive what was give me one second it was um the uh there's negative versus positive but that comes yes static versus dynamic so you can divide again now you have a four quad so you have you know dynamic masculine dynamic feminine static masculine static feminine so the static feminine has both the positive and the negative side and as you can imagine the master image for the static feminine is the mother and there aren't a lot of dark mothers in fiction. That that's hard to do. There are plenty of um, you know older female villains, but that's not automatically a dark mother. Um, so the idea you you have this in Pink Floyd's uh, song. Didn't didn't Pink Floyd do a song about mother? And um, there's the idea that the dark the reason the static feminine can be negative is that the dark mother never wants you to grow up. You know your your goal in terms of individuation is to kill your inner baby and get rid of the whiny aspects of yourself, the aspects of yourself that are afraid to explore and to take control and to try things and, you know, and even to destroy things. You must get rid of the part of yourself that is afraid to do that. And the dark mother, you know, she wants you to be small. She wants to loom over you. She wants someone that she can take care of. So if you show any you know, sign of aspiration, she will smother you and, and shrink you and keep you small. And that's very, very scary when done correctly. Um, one other example of this from the horror genre would, of course, be spoiler for um, I see dead people. What is it? What is it? What is the it? Sixth, uh, sense. sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. We all said it at once. And um, and and you have a, a case of Munchausen by proxy, right? The woman, spoiler, is poisoning the, was it a son or a daughter? Daughter. So that's a perfect, everybody gets what I'm talking about, right? This is a very intuitive idea because Jung was right about everything. So this is, everybody gets what I'm saying, right? Yes. Yeah. In this film, the dark mother theme was very well executed. Do we all agree to that as well? Yes. Yeah. The film of the six sons. <laughs> you got me good. No, that I set him up, he knocks him down. Um, but the, she's credited as the mother, right? Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, um, just on a thematic level, incredibly well executed. Um, but, but the execution itself, uh, you know, visually, I strongly feel fell flat. And, you know, that, that's just me. But what are you guys' thoughts on the mother or the dark mother in general? Um, so I can steal audio clips of this for my young podcast, of course. Young can suck. Uh, see, you, you go first. <laughs> what were your thoughts on the mother? The whole thing or just the whole? <laughs> oh my God. The bung is the hole. Oh, I didn't know. I've been doing it wrong this whole time, man. Jesus. So for me, like the mother was, while very creepy, very. I don't think I felt bad for her. It was more just like, I actually really agree with Al's view that of her as just this sheer force of nature, where she is yes. just the byproduct of this horrible thing that has happened and 
She just exists now because of this byproduct. That's all right. She she's she's a conduit for that force of nature. She has had such. I mean, everything lined up in a bad way for her. Which on its own is very sad. Well, that's the thing. I didn't. It's the execution, right? I neither myself nor my lord here felt the weight of that tragedy. It it just fell flat for us because of the execution. Hmm. Um, One thing is mystery. Mystery is an incredibly powerful tool. Um, I, especially in horror, I think the first time we saw her, she was obscured by her hair that worked really well. And then we saw her face clearly too many times for me. And what really killed it for me was that shot where she's crawling out of the window. You know, it's like, it's like she's coming up from the underworld to suck you back down, right? She's, she's a conduit for that force of nature that comes from the underworld and she, and she wants to suck you down into it with her and and then embower you and and then shrink you and it's like you're not going to have all this potential that you could have had as a person you're you're going to be shrunk down and trapped as my pet you know almost literally so that works incredibly well but but they blew it that should have been a shot of of just her hand you know reaching straight up from this dark place below and instead you see both both arms and hands and shoulders and her whole face and she's overlit and it does not use the fact that she's coming up from underneath to the film's advantage, but rather it, it shrinks her, which does not work because she is the one who shrinks. And, and you see her too clearly, so there's no mystery. That and, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's, we're looking down at her, so she has no power and she in, evokes no fear. And I did not, if it had just been a hand reaching up, it would have worked, but no, sorry. They didn't even understand their own dark mother archetype that they were trying to invoke, so... Shame. That does remind Eternal me, shame. That does remind me. One moment that really drew me back a bit also was when, you know, the mother's chasing just chasing Justin Long. Oh, I was just about to talk about that. <laughs> he gets to the room with the basically the you know the real monster, and the fact that even though we didn't know what was behind that door, the fact that this the fact that the mother when he gets to this room she backs off. I know that's been done in other movies, but in this, when that happened, when she backed off, that even then I was like, oh boy, something, some real bad behind that door. Yeah. That was cool. That, that, was, that was a really good use of shadow. Cool. You have to admit the fact that yes. she's barely visible, and you see that she's like she does this awkward shuffle where you're yeah. like, oh, she she's afraid. There. She's afraid. Thank you. See, there it is. These ideas are great but they have to be communicated visually because it's a visual medium. And if they aren't, it doesn't matter if you can prove it theoretically. So yes, that, that was one area where the film definitely succeeded. And thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah. And it's, it's also why like I got, you know, truly for me, I still hold that this is like a baby of the strangers and uh, the Hills have eyes, which for mm. what they are, they're great. Like, did you see either of those movies? What? No. <laughs> uh, High five. You know, what it did remind me of was, did you ever, um, did you watch like the Turpin twins? You know what it reminded me of was every modern horror film ever made because there was nothing (laughs) unique about it visually. That's why I hated it. But see, I think story-wise, I think there was more, I know you didn't like it, but it was more unique in its story. And that's, see, what's interesting is if you have, so understanding that, you know, Gov and Lord were not into the story, and that's totally fine. It's interesting though, that we we they, were into it. We just didn't give it primacy. And that's fine. And that's fine. But what is interesting is that the director basically did, okay, I'm going to do a very different take on, the, on a kind of 
horror movie, but I'm going to shoot it conventionally. Now, obviously, for you guys, and for many other people, I'm sure, that's like, well, why do that? Why not go unique with it? Why not film as a visual medium? Absolutely. But the fact that he chose to shoot it like something that you'd see in the early 2000s or a little more conventional is probably why this is drawing more people in than expected because people are getting this conventional view with genuine, with a genuinely different uh, outcome. Okay, I, I see, that's fair. And I guess you have to do that if that is, you know, if that's what you're trying to do. Um, Which there, there maybe could have been, all I'm saying is there maybe could have been one room <clears throat> in, in the basement with some really high level design, you know, something we've never seen before. Just one room, just just so that my lord here wouldn't have fallen asleep during that scene. That's all I'm saying. I would I would argue it's not the a room, but the way the flashback scene was shot is like I, I to be honest, like this probably shows you how relatively normy I am in terms of cinema. I haven't seen something like that in a while, especially like in modern Hollywood. Like, like the only thing that comes to mind was the last scene in Hugo where it was like a camera on a fixed tripod dolly thing. It's going a little touch of evil-esque, kind of. But. Well, uh, I, I agree with that. What's the matter for you? Wait, <laughs> you mean you haven't seen just like the oversaccharine like 1950s suburb? Like Pleasantville? I think you meant... So, for example, you have a lot of tracking shots where the camera is tracked to... Um, the villain perfectly. That's what you're referring to, right? Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. And then you combine that with the with the oversaturation. You know, the the fact that it's overlit, which is in sharp contrast. Um, there's a fisheye lens, and we're sort of leaning into his head a bit with that fisheye lens, which you know um, distorts his head, which makes him creepy. And also the the camera work, you know, it, it indicates that we're sort of seeing this from his point of view. Um, but then he's also made intentionally very creepy with this visual language. So we're we're sort of sympathizing with him. We're seeing everything from his point of view, but there's this very creepy edge to it. There's also this way in which we're separated from him. It's like, there's something about him you don't wanna know. You really don't wanna know that something about him. All of that is communicated purely through the camera work. It's, also it's delectable. It's also interesting that someone like that mo most easily gets away with the things he did in that era of time, just being like one of those, oh, uh, what was he, a technician of some kind? Is that what he was? Well, no, he was. Well, I think he, he was lying that he yeah, was. Yeah, he was, was lying, lying that he was. What was he saying? What did he say he was? He said he was the, no, he, yeah, he said he was like a plumber and was checking. Yes, he said he was a plumber because he was checking to make sure there was like no pollutant in the so pipes. In, yeah, in that that's why era, he had though, to turn on the. But in yeah, that yeah. era, they people accepted that. It's like, oh, if some dude came by, it's like. Oh, I need to check this because of the city said this or whatever. Like, oh yeah, go right on through. That's just the way it was. So someone right, like that could right. get away and, with that. Yeah, and and then of course the fact that, that that ties in perfectly because him turning on the water is also how he covers the sound of him unlocking the window yep. and the you, you know the kissing noise that C mentioned earlier. The, the interwovenness of this film is what impresses me. I think it was a really really great tack board when they were working out the story beats. I think that was really the last time there was any hope for this film, in my personal view. <laughs> well, I think on that note, only because we're about to have a real long episode here, which I'm, I'm <laughs> fine with. Do we want to get cool. our official review of sure. you know, how about? I, I have one final. This, yeah, yeah. sure. this is my closing statement. This scene where, spoiler, the mother gets hit by the car. 
that should have been the first time we saw her face in full. With the mm. background knowledge of the Jungian perspective and all of that, do you guys agree with that or disagree with that? Um, like, okay. I, I agree, but then that takes away from the last shot of the first act, which, which is we see the, the mother roar at uh, Bill Skarsgård and Georgina Campbell, which like, and then like just a smash cut to Justin Long, I thought was like a really, really well done edit. Like a really well, like I was, I oh was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like kind of like in my seat going like, damn, that's a good edit. And I like on one hand, I wish you could do that without getting rid of that previous sequence because I well, really like that I, sequence as, as, as a working editor, <laughs> you may ignore my Lord. <laughs> I have a commission. Okay. Um, I, I, I I'm, disagree. I'm, I'm drawing a picture of Gov. Um, what if his lips That's were me? had locked together and he couldn't talk? Mm. <laughs> that would yes, be terrible be because then I wouldn't get these big fat checks from the Carl Jung estate. <laughs> oh, okay. That's my. That's that's why he jokes about me not being a real filmmaker because obviously that's just a cover job. Mm. Fair. Yeah. His 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 real job is plumbing the depths of the human subconscious. Plumbing. Well, we don't plumbing. like plumbers anymore after this movie, oh, no, so you can't say that. Boys, but, as we've seen, they don't just plumb uh, metal pipes. But uh, but see, do you well, agree or disagree with uh, with Gov's uh, statement? Hmm, so Dude, I think, he doesn't even remember it. I guarantee. No, I do. <laughs> oh, you mean C? C might actually still be awake. Over I'm there. still awake. Yeah. So, um, uh, so not showing the face until the car, basically. I think you could have gotten away with it if you just showed, you know, Bill Skarsgård's head constantly being smashed in over and over and over again until it's like completely decimated and then cut to Justin Long singing. That would have been a pretty interesting Thank you. Cut. That would have worked great. That would have worked great. To, to Gov's credit, that would have worked great. And then to see the mother's face when she's hit by the car would have absolutely worked. And I completely agree with the hand thing out the window too. So, but yeah, if you don't want to, if you don't want to include her face, you just see the head being smashed over and over again and then hard cut to Justin Long singing that song. That'd be pretty good. That would be pretty good. Cool. So I think uh, Al's correct that it's time for the um, put down. <laughs> yeah. For our final. Uh, so I, I'm guessing. Can I do a drum roll? Sure. But you guys know our rating system because you're fans of the show. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, Lord? What do you give it according to our rating system? Ooh, I give it half a can of Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong podcast. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. All right. Uh, just a just a quick refresher. Sure. Uh, sucks is like worst of the worst. Uh, meh is like super mediocre. Uh, it's a movie is like average. And uh, Flush is great movie. Fox is like the best of the best. Like. That movie, you're gonna buy it, pirate it, uh, steal a 35 millimeter print from it, and uh, watch it over and over again. And you guys can okay. add your, you guys can add like any modifiers to it. Like yeah, you can add modifiers. Like I love, my, I love, I love taking like a perfect system and then just like putting some some twist on it to impress this idea that I'm like better than the system. Okay, so <laughs> we know you like to be better than systems. Yeah, mm. I, I I am. Um, and I like you know, to be better we'll, than we'll, people. 
We'll go into, oh, ooh, ooh. well, you and I, we can, we can have a, actually, we're going to be doing some sword fighting uh-huh. while my lord's in the States. So if you guys want to be a part of that, please let me know. Ooh. Um, Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and put this film halfway between meh and it's a movie. Fun to think about, not fun to watch. Is that? Ooh, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a, you're probably the first that's one to do something weird. like that. Yeah. I knew it. I knew you I could are. pull it off. Oh, congratulations, Gov. You're original. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, see. I think he's laughing at the idea of me being original. No, I, yeah, I no, didn't. No, nothing's more original me. than critiquing a movie that somebody else made already. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> oh, <it's laughs> <podcast>. So, <laughs> your own my lord, what do you get? Well, in fairness, it's not our podcast. Oh yeah, much guess, to the much to the listeners' advantage, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's just the math for me. Uh, no modifier, know, I mean, no nothing to sweeten it. Well, you, I mean, you said super mediocre, and that's a contradiction. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm giving it a regular mediocre. Okay. Ooh. Uh, a mediocre, mediocre, a middling mediocre, Ooh. middling meh. How about that? Yeah. Skating. <laughs> um. See, how about you? I give it a math because uh, actually my Lord and Gov have got me thinking about some things. So. Oh, dude, no oh, way. Jesus so not only Lord. did we, dude, dude, hair fall. High five. Oh, shit. That fucked up the equipment. Hang on. <laughs> that unplugged some stuff. See, yeah, how could dude, you do this to we me? We done did it. Okay, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a movie, but I, I would have given, when I walked out of the theater, I was ready to give it a flush, but I think I got to give it, it, it's a movie. It's a movie. Uh, I'm, Dude, I'm we in didn't the even scratch the surface of our nitpicks. You want to go like all the way down to the lowest rating? We can make that happen. It's, <laughs> it's you're a, that gullible. It's, it's a movie. I give it a movie. I, I should I should have gone there, because truly, Gov and Lord really gave me some things to think about. But if I let a few people completely completely flip me on the view of the movie, that would be crazy. But I don't. I, I realize it does have a few interesting issues. It does seem to rely on twists a lot. But at the same time, I remember when seeing this in theaters, I was having a great time. So I can't ignore ignore that in any way. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, man. I had a great time watching um who's that off Jurassic World. I had a great time <laughs> watching Jurassic World, but I am never gonna watch Wait, that movie. Dominion again. or Fallen Kingdom? Have permission to stop me. Uh neither. Oh, the first <laughs> one. The first one. Okay. Yeah. Okay, which yeah. is funny because we Dude, like, like even even like let's, the Force Awakens was not a bad theater going experience. That's true, but it is a bad movie. That's <laughs> also true. Uh, okay, but uh, let's see what what what. So I am gonna give it a flush. Um, I'm gonna go with a modifier Shopper. and say it is a barbaric flush. I just <laughs> like listen, listen. We started a trend. Let's three points for our team, right? Uh, listen, I just. I, I I I was really on this movie's wavelength and I like I'm not even a horror guy. I, I'm really not. Like C can tell you that I'm always like, uh, do we really need to see a horror movie? But I was really on this movie's wavelength. Uh I I know you guys like listen, I, I will be the first to admit that like the cinematography outside of like three specific sequences wasn't what was drawing me into the, the film. It was mm. the narrative. It was the character work. It was, it was the editing. I thought this film was really well edited. 
uh, and the sound design was really, really good. In fact, when when it kind of hit me what what the noise was, because, you know, that mystery of what the noise was in the first act, I was like, well, that did that pay off? And I was like, oh, oh, shit, it did. Oh, oh, my God. I, I really like that. Now, now, Gov, to your, yeah. to your credit, um, to your credit, I, I, I think that that was kind of the one thing that I, like in the back of my mind, I was like, what was it about this movie that I can't give it a fucks? And because I was like really focusing, I really liked how they presented the characters. I really like how they contrasted the characters. And it's like, yeah, no, outside of outside of a couple sequences, it's shot in a very standard way. Like, like if you took it, like you're right, if you took images from this and interspersed them with any other Blumhouse movies, everyone, no one would be able to differentiate them. And you know, that's that's kind of a that that's kind of sad because one of my few critiques of 2018's uh, Halloween reboot was that, well, it's not as well shot as the original because it's a Jason Blum production and they shot it on the, the most available digital cameras they could get in LA. Uh, that being said, that being said, I, I just was really on this movie's wavelength. Um, I, okay. I, I, I really, really, I'm excited to see what Zach Krager is going to do next. I hope he's given more free reign to do something even crazier. Uh, I that'd be that'd be cool. That would be I would yeah. I would be on board for that. And, and honestly, um, not to interrupt, but you know, let let's scratch each other's backs. You have changed my mind. Um, you actually are completely right on all three counts, including the editing. the The cut that I didn't like, which led to me making a nasty comment about the film's editing, is really the meaning that you know, the, 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 that cut detracts from the meaning of the film by cutting after we see the mother's face. And, you know, C pointed out accurately, I think, that if we're being true to the archetypes this film is drawing upon, the mystery, uh, some element of mystery was needed there, and that particular cut should come earlier. I'm replaying the movie in my head, and overall, even though I disagree with that one for conceptual reasons, overall, it was not a poorly edited film. It was actually a well-edited film. Now, now, one other thing, and I think the biggest point of contention we have is that, like, AJ, I never liked him. Well, I liked him because I didn't like him, if that makes sense. Um, no, but, I get but, that. But, but you know what? I'm. It, it's good to see Justin Long again. I, I, I think hmm. I think you know he's he was in so many movies when we were like middle schoolers and teenagers. Yeah. And and I I wouldn't be listen. I'll be the first to admit, like. Seeing him pop up on, on the big screen again gave me a wave of nostalgia, and maybe that's tinting my eyes to this movie. That being well, wait, I, I, buddy, I went through the same thing, and we didn't see the trailer, so we didn't even know he was going to be in the film. I fully agree with you on that. Part. Okay, cool. Um, now, now the only, the only, the last thing I'll add, and then you know we'll we'll sign off. Uh, the last thing I'll add is that what. I really, really appreciate it from you guys because I know you guys are like you guys had a list and all that stuff. But what I really, really appreciate it is that you guys, you know, you you talk about the mother and you point out something really valid, which is like, yeah, no, like the mystery is kind of gone after the reveal. Like it's she's just there uh, way too early. Yeah, way too. Early. I thought it worked. But but uh, I can totally see people saying like. Well, you know, mute, mutated incest monster, like, you know, what what you can't see is scarier. What you can't see, eventually you can, like, you can, like, rationalize away. So, yes, you, you put it into a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I totally, I totally get that point of view as well. 
Um, so uh, with that being thank s- you. <laughs> with that being said, <laughs> well, you're no, it's, 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 a, it's an important that that's that's a good lesson there, future filmmakers. You know the ima- what what the the fear your imagination. It's always worse. It's okay. Fine. I'm not going to do the whole rant because he's already laughing at me. But you know what I mean. We what you're imagining this. is always worse than what you eventually get. Yeah. Therefore, milk that as like, long as you can. Like, did you guys? Oh, by the way, don't go to film school. Actually, your whole career path is a bad choice. Yeah. Okay. That's true. That's actually you'll end up true. like us. Yeah. So no. That's do that's it. totally true. But it. I'm sure everyone here has seen the Babadook. The moment they reveal what the oh, Babadook dude. looks like, I was like, I'm not scared. I'm annoyed. <laughs> we, okay, so we talked about the Babadook. Very similar and better than this film. I, The two of us agree on this. Yeah, end. yeah. definitely. The Babadook was a better movie because it seemed like the filmmaker actually cared about, like, you know, the mental state of its, uh, you know, the characters and the Babadook is very obviously a metaphor for that. Uh, um, better yeah. realized overall. I, yeah, and then in contrast to this, you know, this is just somebody had to make a horror movie to, you know, as, as the next step of their career. Horror is a very cheap genre to make a movie in, so uh, I, I, that's you know, I, I can't, I can't blame Zach Craiger for trying because that's kind of how. If if I'm continuing on this path, that's that's what I would do. <laughs> I think one of the only examples where seeing the monster and you're still just as scared, at least the first time go. you see it, is Alien. That's one of the few examples. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. That's scary. a good choice. Yeah. That's no, a good yeah. answer. Yeah, that's totally true. Well, in any case, uh, this has been our review for Barbarian. Uh, thank you so much for Lord and Gov or my Lord and Gov to be thank you with guys, us. Really. We we really want to have had you on here. Yeah, we really have oh, to have you back. The pleasure is most certainly And, and I, I got to say, I got to say, uh, uh, Gov, you're going to be our go to when we want to talk about visuals because like I just realized like oh yeah he's a he, like his his visual his his input or his talks Take on notes, visual Lord. was was really really good <laughs> okay so yeah, yeah. No, he he is really good at filming things with his camera I know <laughs> We, we, we know uh, well, that, li- that little red record button. I'm really we, fucking good at pressing we've, that button. We've, we've been in front of him when he's pressed that button. Right? All right. Well, well, I likes my camera box. I likes my red button. I likes my, uh, I, I I like, my red dragon. I likes my red <laughs> Yeah, it's, re- it's real epic. So All right. I, I likes All the right. dragon. All right, guys. All right, this has been <laughs> okay. What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. I love being a cinematographer. <laughs> I'm C. La- later, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye.